Welcome to Shit Show of My 20s. My name is Sophia and I am so glad you're here. I am a 20-something in my early 20s and I was going through my fair share of Shit Show moments and I'm sure there's more Shit Show moments to come. So much fun. But it's while I was going through these moments, I was realizing I'm probably not the only 20-something who feels this way. So I decided to start this podcast back in 2020 and it's been incredible. And I love interviewing these inspiring people. And I hope that through these stories, you're able to see yourself in these stories. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with a friend, as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. I put so much time and energy into this podcast, and it would mean the world to me. So without further ado, let's get started. Today's guest is Annetta. I enjoyed chatting with her. Annetta is a serial entrepreneur and sought after author, speaker, and coach who specializes in teaching people how to turn their entrepreneurial dreams into reality by creating multiple streams of income. Her program and entrepreneurial network, The Wealth Connect, has helped thousands of people master entrepreneurship and build wealth. She herself has sold over 600 properties, totaling more than $50 million in real estate sales, and owns multiple million-dollar producing tax stores along with other businesses, proving she is not just someone who teaches, but also someone who backs up what she says with massive results. In this interview, we go into so many incredible things from what she recommends as a good start in real estate, wholesaling, how she got into real estate, digital products, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Annetta, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Awesome. So tell me a bit about your 20s. Feel free to include any shit show moments you don't resonate with. Let's start there. Okay. In my 20s, I was pretty much one of the individuals that, you know, I just really wanted to be grown. So I was really, you know how some 20 year olds like to party and everything. I was really like focus driven. Like I wanted to be grown. I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to have, you know, a corporate job. I wanted to, you know, live by myself. Like my 20s, was pretty much me wanting to be independent and wanting to be grown rather than hang out. Like I've never experienced the college life, the spring life. It was like, okay, I graduated from high school and then I went to go work for, you know, EDS, which was my first job at 19. So I didn't have, you know, one of those like real fun 20. It was like, I want to be grown. You know, I was already focused on, you know, building a career and getting myself situated. I love it. Let's get to work. (laughs) Spring break. Let's just go directly into the working. And I have a similar story as well. And I'm curious for you, do you have like one specific moment, like a major growth moment in your 20s where you're like, oh my gosh, like it hit you really hard and you learned a lot from it? What moment would you say? Absolutely. One moment that grew in my 20s was um, when I was actually, you know, I really didn't know about credit, right? And, you know, I was out on my own and I charged all these credit card bills up, not knowing that, you know, oh my God, you know, I'm in debt. So I had to really take the time to, you know, I was just charging cars up and I had a company car, which was American Express. And I was using that for personal and they sent me a letter and it was like I was in all this debt. And I realized that at the end of the day, I've learned that there is good debt and there is bad debt. 
So now if I use my credit card, it has to be something that I'm going to invest in and receive money for. So for example, I have an event coming up called the Wealth Connect Live, right? So I'm expensing it and I'm using my credit card, but I already know ticket sales, you know, and everything that I have going on is going to pay that debt off. So, you know, that was an aha moment for me. Like, I'm not just going to charge credit cards up on liabilities. You use credit cards to help you make money. You want to use credit cards to invest in things that's going to get you to that next level. Yeah. And I'm curious for you, if you ever had this come up for you of like wanting to shop or wanting to spend stuff on like, it's not necessarily good debt. You don't, you kind of just want to spend to spend. Like what advice do you have for someone who maybe they're just kind of like in that cycle of just spending because like it feels good. It's nice having those things, but they kind of want to be able to cut back on that. Okay. My thing is this, you know, of listen, one thing we have to realize is if we take the time to usually it's fair to say that usually a 20 year old is in college, correct? Yeah. So they should really focus on learning how to make the money. So it's safe to say at the end of the day, before spending it, learn how to take, you know, make the money first. And then once you make the money first and you, you know, you actually secure some type of income, whether it's, a, you know, an Airbnb, a residential property, you know, right now, you know, you can become a millionaire with digital products. There's so many ways that you can make money or learn how to have a vehicle for money before you spend the money on a credit card so that you can pay it off. A lot of times, like some people, they literally refinance their house to pay bills off. Why? I'm going to refinance my house and I'm going to try to invest it in something to make money. Then I'm going to pay my house off. So you have to have their approach to say, you know what? And you got to remember when you start making the money and when you've created an actual vehicle where you are making income and passive income, guess what? Now you can eventually go shopping. You don't have to worry about swiping your car and now you owe. It's like you have something making money for you. So if you swipe your car, you could pay your actual bill off. Yeah. Yeah. And for like a 20 something, like just out of like college, doesn't really have any direction of where they want to go. They know they need to make money, but they don't know where necessarily to start. Where do you feel like is a good place to start? To me, a good starting place, honestly, is in real estate. Like, you know, the Airbnb, like I tell people this all the time, it's nothing like having assets, you know, learning how to build passive income. If you look at like the Forbes magazine, and if you look at a majority of the billionaires, you will realize that they are tied to some type of asset. So they may not want an asset now because in the 20, you partying, but eventually you want to go down that road where you are taking in consideration to invest in real estate, to build your net worth. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious if you could go deeper into like your journey, like how you got into real estate, how you got into absolutely. all the work you're doing today. Oh, absolutely. So pretty much, let me tell you a little bit about my background. I was 19 years old. And when I first got it started, you know, I was one of those kids that wanted to fit in in high school. I was in a gang. I used to steal clothes. I used to be shoplifting at this actual retailer called Hudson's. I just wanted to be important. And so I had gotten in trouble. I um, actually caught a case stealing clothes and I was blessed. Yeah, stealing clothes. And actually I was also, I, I was working at JCPenney's and I was hooking my friend up and I caught a charge for embezzlement. Yeah, it was only like $167. So anyway, as I got older, they expunged my record. So I went on and I got into the real estate industry or whatever. Well, let me back up. I was 19 years old. 
And I was working at EDS and I was with this girl, Yolanda. And Yolanda was like, you know, we were really good friends. You know, we were vibing. You know, we wanted to be grown. She was a secretary. I was a secretary. Let me tell you how slow I was. I was so slow that you probably know this. I thought administrative assistant and I thought that um, secretary were two different words. So when I used to go out on a date, girl, and guys would be like, what do you do? I used to be like, oh, I'm an administrative assistant, right? I'm thinking like I'm this big wig, this director, but administrative assistant sound better than secretary, but it's the same thing. But I didn't know that. So make a long story short, I came to work one day, girl. My buddy, my raw dog that I used to hang out with was not in the chair. It was a new secretary. So I said, Yolanda, where did you go? Yolanda said, hey, I went over to Johnson Controls and I got me a new job making $14 an hour. Okay, back in, that's, what was that, two, 2001? Back then, no, 1994, girl, that's a lot of money, $14 an hour. So she left. So I went on, we would talk on the phone and everything. And like about three weeks later, she called me. She said, hey, Johnson Controls is higher. And I'm like, for real? She's like, but you got to lie your way in. So I was like, I don't know. She's like, I'm telling you, they're going to teach you how to become a materials coordinator because that's what she loved to be. So I did what she said. I lied my way in. And I went over there. And as I began to work right, I was making $14 an hour. And I had, um, a lot of times we do this, I was living above my means. So I was living in this high rise. I had a Cadillac Cotera. I just had enough money to pay my bills. And so I got frustrated because I would have to actually work an extra day, which is tie my Saturdays up just to have some extra money to eat, some extra money to pay my light bills and stuff. It was really bad. But at that time, when I told you I charged my cards up. So after that happened, I said, you know what? Something got to give. So I end up applying for a different job, which was a material analyst within Johnson Control. So I got promoted, making $40,000 a year. And I thought that was going to fix the problem, but it did not fix the problem. And I said, you know what? I got to do something different. And I realized, I'll never forget, I realized that in that spirit of moment, I was steady making $40,000. But one thing I realized is you can never become a millionaire working for somebody else, you know? And that's when I said, I got to do something different. And it was this man, he was an older guy and he used to own a big construction company and he used to, you know, he fixed my parents' house up and he put the actual bug in my ear about real estate. He used to say, you know, you can flip houses, you can do, you can become a landlord. Like it piqued my interest. And so make a long story short, I got into real estate, you know, Pretty much my mother loaned me some money and this guy named Mark Nagy actually had a list of houses. And my ex-boyfriend, you know what? I believe in this. People say, people be in your life for a reason and season. And so I was dating this guy. He was in, I was in an abusive relationship. Like literally I was getting beat like Harlow, like literally getting beat with brooms and stuff like that. And he introduced me to Mark Nagy. I learned the real estate, you know, I learned how to invest in real estate. He would give me the list. I would actually find a buyer and I would like, he would want 30,000. I would sell it for a hundred. He literally would give me the difference back. He never stole not one dime from me. And that's how I was able to build the actual, you know, I was able to become successful. And I went on to sell 600 properties, totaling $50 million. Well, guess what? At that time, you know, real estate was really big, right? And I got caught up where I actually got indicted and I got indicted and I actually went to prison where actual Martha Stewart went, which was Camp Elderson. It was a federal 
prison camp. So I went there or whatever the case may be, came home, but I went to prison for paying people down payments. So let's just say if Sophia, I was giving you, um, you wanted to buy a house for me and it was a hundred thousand and you did not have the down payment. Well, you needed 20%. I gave you that but I told the bank, we only gave you 6%. So the bank considered that that was fraud for one, cause I lied about the amount. And two, they didn't know that I actually gave you the money. So of course I did a, you know, I did several of those transactions, which caused me to end up in federal prison. So here, I'm, here I am, God gave me a second chance um, at success. Uh, I actually opened up, you know, a tax preparation. I own five tax stores within the Metro Detroit area as well as I have um, a mentorship program where I teach people how to set up a virtual tax preparation company from home. So that has, you know, actually went there. And so at the end of the day, you know, I believe in being an entrepreneur and, you know, that's the key. Yeah. You have an incredible story and there's like so many parts I want to go into, but I guess where I'll start first is like, what's your biggest tip for someone who's going through a comeback? Like you've been through in terms of like, how am I going to be able to rebuild? How am I going to be able to get to the place that I was before? Like what tips do you have in terms of mindset for being prepared to go through that? The mindset is at, let me tell you something. When I went to prison, right, y'all got, I said, listen, I'm going to prison. I said, I'm not going to be indicted and broke. So my actual thing would be at the end of the day, you cannot control what happens around you. You have to be able to control yourself. And most importantly, you have to be able to take the time to reinvent yourself. And you have to take the time to learn. In order for you to get to that next level, you need high skill sets very high skill sets. I tell people knowledge will change your situation. So if you're trying to make a comeback, figure out what industry you want to go into. And then you need to actually take the time to really go into that industry and learn, you know, everything that you need to learn and become an expert at it. I tell people the quickest way to becoming a millionaire is learning how to become an expert at one thing. See, a lot of times you try to do multiple things. People like the word, you know, oh, I own all these companies, but not one, none of them is making money. Fine, whatever's making you the most money right now, that's what you concentrate on. However, if nothing's making the most money, figure out what industry you want to go into and figure out that, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm going to play full out and I'm going to learn this industry until I become an expert at it. Because now when you become an expert at it, you can get paid teaching people. You can make money. You can, you know, talk to them. It's so many of the things that you can do when you become an expert. Real estate investing. I learned how to wholesale. I learned how to find, fix, and flip properties. I've also had, you know, a rental portfolio of passive income. I teach people how to flip properties. It's so much you can do with the actual skill set. But the key is you got to learn one skill set. And I tell people this all the time. Let me ask you this. You went to college, right, Sophia? I didn't. Right? I started working right away. Oh, you started working. Okay, cool. But the average person, usually you have to pay 60, 100, 200,000 to go to college. And you know what I asked them? When you went to college, did they ever show you how to make a million dollars? No. They show you how to make 60. They show you how to make 80. And then you look up and what? You look up and now you in the jam and you got to pay them back, you know? So at the end of the day, somebody that's trying to actually come out, you listen, the problem is the reason why we're in the situations that we're in is because we don't have enough skill set. We don't have enough knowledge. We're struggling because we took a shortcut to learn it. You have to discipline your success. Success leads to discipline. If you don't discipline yourself, what happens? You ain't going to get nowhere. 
You've got to put in the work. You've got to play full out. Life is what you make it. Hmm. You can look up, you can get up. I love that. And yeah, that's so helpful because sometimes we feel like the pressure of we need to know everything, right? And then we end up learning nothing versus focusing on that one thing and really honing in in that one skill set. And like when you were in that process of rebuilding, like I feel like when you're rebuilding, it feels overwhelming. Like you feel like, oh shit, like I have all these things to do. I feel like I'm not going to get there. What if I don't get there? What if like I just end up stuck here? Like what did you do? Like did you ever have that soundtrack start to play of like trying to take you You back or control your thoughts you got to be able to block your thoughts out so when you listen this is what's going to help you if you take the time or anybody that's looking at this actual podcast if you take the time to listen when you wake up don't get your phone and scroll through instagram facebook when you wake up go to youtube listen to your favorite motivational speaker for 15 minutes because you got to be your own cheerleader You got to listen to something. When you wake up, you got to be excited. You got to be motivated. Nobody is going to inspire you to be great but yourself. You wake up with just yourself. So you got to be able to control those thoughts that go into your head. I can't do it. I don't have the money. You know, this is not going to work. It has to work. When your back is against the wall, it has to work. You got to say to yourself every day, this has to work. Just imagine you're young, you're in your 20s, you're doing this podcast, congratulations to you. When you master it, you're going to get millions and millions of people that actually want to look at your podcast. Guess what? Now you can teach other people how to do a podcast because you've mastered it. You can have a school, you can do so much with this, stick with it. You just got to be consistent. And that's what it's all boiled down to. You got this. Yeah, I love it. I feel like we got a motivational speaker today and all of it into one. Like when when I think of real estate, like it can feel overwhelming of like, do I do long term rentals? Do I do Airbnb? Do I do fix and flips? Do I sell houses? Like it can feel overwhelming, like all the different avenues that you could go through for someone who's a beginner. Where's like a good starting place, you would say? Wholesale. Wholesaling, you should start or Airbnb. And the reason why I say this, I'm going to take you through a scenario, right? If you decide that you want to become a landlord first and you get $50,000, right? At the end of the day, if you're charging somebody, what, $1,000 a month, hold up. Let me pull out my calculator. So if you get 50000 and you divide it into 1000 right? It's going to take how many? Four and a half years for you to get that money back. But when you wholesale, you buy a house for 30, you're going to get your money back right back. And you may make 10 on top of that. You want to build that money up. You're not in the position if you only have 50,000 to become a landlord or build passive income. So I highly recommend you start with wholesaling, Airbnb, and then you can move into finding, fixing, and flipping houses. And then, like I say, after you hit your first million, because this is it, you got to learn how to make a million first, right? Once you learn how to make a million first, then you got to learn how to profit a million. Once you profit that million, now you can take that million and invest it. And that's that's how you're able to build an empire investing in real estate. So you want to learn how to make a million first. Once you learn how to make it, now you got to learn how to profit. How am I going to scale this thing? What do I have to do to clear a million? And then three, you want to take that million and invest it into other things that's going to make you money. Yeah. And for starting with Airbnb, are you talking about like rental arbitrage? Is that the starting? Yeah, yeah. Other people. Yeah, definitely. Other people like renting other people property. I actually acquired two Airbnbs last year for the first time. I've always been an investor that actually hold on to properties. And it's pretty good. Like I have a penthouse and I actually acquire a one bedroom and I get like $2,300 a month. And of course I have this network. So I pretty much wanted to try it myself. 
before I actually tell others that's within my inner circle about Airbnb. Yeah. So you want to start off with wholesaling or, you know, doing Airbnb arbitrage, like you said. Okay. Perfect. And I'm curious with Airbnb, do you feel like there's going to be any difference with like how many people are starting to start their own Airbnb? Do you feel like there's... Here's the thing. I'm not an expert at Airbnb. So, but you know, like I actually partnered up with somebody that did Airbnb and that's how I was able to acquire my actual two Airbnbs. So I really can't answer that because I don't want to lead nobody into the wrong direction. But if you come into, you talk to me about real estate, I could talk about that all day. So I really don't have enough knowledge to say what is going to happen in Airbnb. At this time, I know that it is a good vehicle where you can spend five, seven thousand getting a actual the furniture and then putting it on Airbnb and getting it rented out. Awesome. And for someone who wants to start in wholesaling, how do you start in wholesaling? Like what's a good um, place? Pretty much to start in wholesaling, you pretty much want to get with an actual real estate investor, or you can actually go driving for dollars and you can go to dealmachine.com. You could take a picture of the house. And what will happen is pretty much what they'll do is they'll give you the actual owner, tell you everything about it, or you can actually buy the software called propstream.com with deal machine. And then you want to be able to, you know, write the actual addresses out. However, if you really want to get into wholesaling, I highly recommend it. You set a time, you set aside some days and time to drive around and find good deals. And then when you do find them, you actually take the time to reach out to the actual sellers, see how much money they actually uh, want for the property. However, you can go to Zillow and actually take the time to find out what are the houses going for within that area to make sure that this is a profitable deal. Because when you are wholesaling, when you actually are going to the buyer, you want to make sure they, you know how much it costs. If they want to wholesale it or become a landlord, you need to tell them how much it is going to cost to renovate it and how much would they make if they decide to flip it or hold it. What is that? You need to be able to do all the research upfront for them to, to actually be able to make a sound decision based off um, the property that you're trying to sell. I'm curious for like anyone who doesn't know about wholesaling, I only know a little bit about it. Are you purchasing it with your own money and then assigning the contract or how's that process kind of working? No, you can actually do an assignment contract so you can find the house and the seller may want $500 or whatever the case may be. You can give them an actual earnings money deposit of $500,000, right? And then you can find a buyer and then you can put the actual property under contract under assignment. You'll sign a purchase agreement with the actual seller seller and then you're going to have your seller do an assigned contract as well as a purchase agreement and actually you want to find a company that do double closings and so at that time you will get an earnest money from them now you got your thousand dollars back and then you just make sure you line up the actual buyer as well as the seller on the same day the buyer is going to close first and then when the seller come in you're going to use those proceeds to fund the deal to buy his house and it's done Hmm. And do you take on any liability by doing that? And does it ever happen that like someone doesn't end up buying that property and you're kind of stuck with the contract? No. I mean, because at the end of the day, you can ask the seller for initial, uh, you know, 30 days or 60 days. And if they don't, they'll just probably keep the earnest money deposit and then look for somebody to rebuy, to resell it. Okay. Yeah. And what do you feel like is the hardest lesson you've had to learn through real estate? 
The hardest lesson that I had to learn through real estate pretty much was dealing with contractors. You know, like you can't, when you're finding, fixing and flipping the house, you cannot give the contractor all the money up front. You have to make sure that y'all have an agreement and you write down like once they finish, let's just say they supposed to do the kitchen and room. You give them, it costs 10000 Okay. I'm going to give you 5000 Once you 100% done with the roof, I'll give you another draw for the kitchen, which is like 2500 But you got to give it to them in increments. It has to be in writing. And as well, if the contractor does not finish on a due date, you need to be able to charge them a per diem, which is $100 per day. Mm. Yep. And do you go to like the contractor's work sites of other projects or do you have like a system that you do to make sure they're a good contractor? Uh, you know what um, I do? I have employees. So, you know, I have a project manager go take a look at it. However, and right now at the stage in my career, now pretty much I have contractors that I don't have to micromanage. Yep. Yeah. That's nice. And what do you feel like is the hardest lesson you had to learn with tenants? Um, with tenants, oh, okay. In Michigan, right? If you do not put the water bill in the tenant's name, when they move out, you are responsible for that water bill. So I had a water bill for like $2,000. And so now I make tenants put the water bill in their name so that the water bill can transfer with them. So that was the hardest thing. Yeah. You just got to make sure that, you know, the utilities are in the tenant name and do not give them the keys until the lights, the heat and the water is in their actual name so that you don't carry on that liability if they decide to move out. Hmm. It's interesting. Do you buy properties like outside of Michigan? Do you buy like all over the U.S.? And Mm -hmm. do you ever buy without looking only in Chicago. I have a partner. I do it from the outside because you can look at a house from the outside and you can say, well, the worst, we could just total everything out. However, but um, very rare. A lot of times I do go into the properties and take a look at it. What advice do you have for someone who's maybe scared of the risk of purchasing like their first investment property for a long term? Like what's a good strategy or what things should they consider before buying that first investment property? Before buying the property, the investment, the first thing they need to do is make sure that it's in the right neighborhood. Because if you buy your first investment in the wrong neighborhood and you're trying to hold on to it, you're not going to have good tenants. So in order for you to have great tenants that's going to pay, that property has to be in the right neighborhood, which is, you know, a working class neighborhood where people, kids can play and stuff like that. So you've got to target the right neighborhood when you are thinking about investing in real estate. And how do you do that if like you don't necessarily know about the neighborhoods? Pretty much, that's why you got to learn. I mean, usually a neighborhood, I mean, if you got houses on the actual, you know, block in certain, you know, areas like that, you could do neighborhood research. You know, you can look at the school district. If it's great things they say about the school district, then that's the neighborhood you want to be in. And another reason why, this is why you have to educate yourself, get a mentor or read a book about investing in real estate so you know exactly what are the do's and don't in the beginning before you even think about investing in real estate? Yeah. And what's something that you wish you would have known about business in your 20s? How to manage my money. When I first got started in the actual business, I had spent all the money. And, you know, you have to pay Uncle Sam. So in the beginning, just know that, you know, when you're making money, just remember that that profit is not all your profit. Uncle Sam is entitled to a profit. So you have to make sure you have money left over to pay your taxes. 
Yeah, you can't spend all the money. Uncle Sam will be mad. <laughs> yeah, and I'm curious, like, so you own a tax preparation firm, or could you yes, go deeper into that? Pretty much, I'm um, just like H&R Block, you know, Liberty Taxes. Um, I have like five tax preparation stores where we prepare people taxes. So this is our season, January through April. Yeah. And what, what drew you to taxes and specifically? The real estate market crashed, so I wanted to diversify my income. So back in 2009 of December, I diversified my income. So that's what made me get into the tax preparation industry. And do you feel like there's a lot of space in terms of like the tax preparation industry to get into? Yeah, it's very lucrative. You can make really, you know, you can make a hundred thousand in ninety days, pretty much. I mean, you just got to think. You know, if you do a hundred people taxes and you charge them actually five hundred dollars, because that's the average in the urban community, that's fifty thousand dollars. So yes, it is very lucrative. And you just got to remember, everybody has to get their taxes done within the United States that earns earned income. Is that like a seasonal business in terms of like you guys are working mainly around tax season or are you doing bookkeeping as well? Um, You can do bookkeeping, but mine's a seasonal. I just prepare taxes January through April and that is it. That's awesome. What's something you feel like business owners do wrong when they're like starting a business like at the beginning? In the beginning, they don't market. Like a lot of times people focus on, you know, getting everything up, making it look nice. But if you don't have no money to market and you can't drive your customers to where you at or let them know that you even in business, you are going to fail. So you have to spend money in marketing. That's the first thing you want to have that. You want to get that dream list. Like who's my idea customer? Let me market to them. You got to put the money in marketing in order for your business to grow. And where do you market most on? What platform? Um, it, it depends, you know, what type of business it is. So, you know, with the tax preparation business, you're going to go to schools, daycares, you can market online, you know, to working class people, you know, real estate, you're going to market to people or try to develop relationships with realtors that actually sell houses to actual people within the areas that you invest in. So it really depends on the business that you are in. That's going to determine the people that you have to market to. I'm curious, what's your thoughts on like, is it better to like flip houses or is it better to hold on to them long term? It's better to flip if you just flip it. But eventually you want to start you know, once you start leveraging and making extra money, you want to take the time to start building passive income where you have residential property to where you can get paid on a monthly basis. Did you start doing digital products recently or have digital products always been part of like your business? No, I pretty much took my skill sets, which is real estate, my tax preparation business. I teach people how to brand themselves and I create digital products. So I created another stream out of my skill sets. So I pretty much teach people. I have a mastermind. I became an expert in all those three areas. And now I teach people how to create and sell digital products from the comfort of their home. See, a lot of people don't know that they can package up what they know and sell it. And how do you know what's that thing that you should package up? Basically, I mean, it depends on the hobby. It depends on the skill set. If you are an expert at it and you've made money at it, then you should package it up and sell it. If you haven't made no money in it and you're not good at it, you should not package it up. You know, you're not going to be honest with your actual results and you're not a good candidate to be selling that type of product when you haven't reached, you know, that word called success. When you work with clients about starting a digital product, like sometimes we're good at something, but we don't think we're actually that good at something. Like sometimes we downplay some of our accomplishments. 
Like, how do you work with someone like that? Who's like, uh, maybe like this would be a good idea, but they, they kind of downplay or they don't think it's good enough, even though it could potentially be. A good I would product. tell them to just test it out in the market, create it because it doesn't cost that much. You can go to Upwork, Fiverr, you know, you can bullet point what you want to talk about. They have writers that will write the actual ebook and you have to put it out and test the market and see what happens. And what's something you were surprised about with all the clients you worked with? Surprised either in like a good way or a bad way about their digital I products? I had any issues. You know, one thing I'm about, one thing about it is a lot of clients that I was surprised at, people don't believe in themselves. A lot of people are not where they want to be because their belief system is very low. So you got to inspire. You got to, that's why you got to be around people that are motivated, inspired to do better. And, you know, you have to be very careful who you allow to be within your inner circle or within your environment, because that's going to determine your thought. So mainly, you know, just people not believing in themselves. They got to build a belief system up. And how do you help them start to build that belief system? How do they help themselves? They got to start reading personal development books, listening to positive things. Like I said, waking up, listening to Les Brown, like everything starts with your thought process. So your mind is going to determine where you go in life. So if you think bad, guess what? If if you're thinking bad, then that's what's going to happen. You know how people say like, it's very important what you manifest or you say out your mouth. It is important. So at the end of the day, you have to take the time to, you know, read books, you know, listen to things. You got to work on your mind and you do that by listening to things that will transform you into thinking positively. Hmm. And I'm curious, I love Les Brown as well. Who are some of your other favorite motivational speakers? Les Brown, Jim Rohn, Eric Thomas. You know, Les Brown was at my actual last event, the Wealth Connect Live. Uh, Eric Thomas. It's one guy I'm thinking about, Inky, but I, oh, and I like Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey has a great story. I love E.T. He's so good. I watch his YouTube channel all the time. That's what's up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, um, what's something that you're learning right now? It could be any area of your life. What I'm learning right now is how to make a million dollars in a day. I made 467000 in a day on the internet. So what I'm learning how to do is really build that up and get that marketing strategy all the way together to make a million dollars in a day. Yes. And I'm curious, are you going to do that through digital products? Or are you going to do that through an event? Do it through an actual event. It's called The Challenge. So pretty much, um, you know, you do a five-day event and act, and then you offer your mastermind services to the people that's there. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I'm curious if like you ever experienced this, but when you were starting to invest in yourself, did you ever have like any hesitancy about starting to invest in masterminds or like, is this money going to come back that I'm spending in this program? Well, you know what? I invested, you know, $2,000, $1,000, that wasn't enough, you know, but- My very first time, you know, when you start to invest really big, like in 2019, my very first investment was with Grant Cardone. I spent $25,000 on myself. And now it's a no-brainer. I do it all the time. Like I just, I'm in a mastermind where I paid $155,000. I'm in one I paid $50,000. And so no, at the end of the day, you lose if you do not take the information and use it. So at the end of the day, right? I didn't know I spent 155,000 and because I was in that mastermind, I was able to make 467,000 in a day. Mm-hmm. So I go in winning cuz I'm going to go in automatically I'm going to learn something out of this mastermind. That's just the bottom line. And so at the end of the day, I go in with 
the intentions of, you know, like I tell people, if you learn one or two new things that you didn't know, it's worth it. Absolutely. And what's like a ritual that you do every day? Something you can't live without? I do five. I, I walk three to five miles each and every day. I believe in staying healthy, looking focused, keeping my weight down. That's important. So I cannot live like if I don't walk, I'd be like, oh, my God, it's non-negotiable. That's the first thing I do when I wake up. I love walking. It's so common. Do you do you purposely like leave your phone away or do you no, like do that? I leave my phone away when I go work out with my trainer. Okay. Yep. And what's something that most people don't know about you? My, It's an open book. You know, I'm a public figure on the internet, so there is nothing that don't nobody know about me. You know, even when I'm going through issues, legal issues, I discuss them. So at the end of the day, you know, it, you don't never want to lie to people and then, or you don't tell them anything and then it comes out. Cause it's going to look worse than rather you tell them. They say, Oh, she told us that. Like at the end of the day, you know, I went to prison. Then somebody reposted it. It's like, I, girl, you late. I didn't wrote a book and everything about it. People know. So I don't have any secrets about myself. I'm very, I'm an open book. I'm going to tell you what it is. I love it. And my final question for you is if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell her? Or if you want to tell her nothing at all, that's an option as well. The best in yourself. Take the time, like a lot of times in 20s, our parents teach us to go to college, get a good job. But the reality is, listen, going to college is, is not going to make you a millionaire. Self-education is. So take the time to read 30 minutes a day. Listen to audios. Instead of listening to your favorite rap song, guess what? Listen to Bryant Tracy or, you know, listen to, you know, Eric Thomas. Listen to something that is going to develop your mind. I would have invested in myself a long time ago. It wouldn't have just been college. Thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome, girl. Awesome. Where can we find you? Pretty much, you know, I'm online. You can go to netapile.com and all my social media handles are actual there. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.